that time of the week again. It's Flat Out RC time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes and helis. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. I tell you what, Melbourne, Australia has been a good place to go flying lately. It is winter. The days are getting a little bit longer. The weather's warmed up. The wind has dropped a little bit. And we've had some beautiful flying days. And I managed to get and have a fly last week. And that was really, really good. So glad to be back with the podcast. Big podcast. We've actually got the president of the Packenham and Districts Aaron Modelers Club. Well, that's not the official name. It's Pen Darks. And it's got some uh, Packenham and District Aero something. I don't know, club. I always get it wrong, but I'll call it Pen Darks. So the club that I'm a member of. We got him in. His number is up, as I told him. And so we'll have a chat with him. Long time guy in the hobby starting in Queensland, coming down to Victoria now. So we'll talk to Keith. But before we do that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, first of all, I want to tell you and remind you about the 39th Mammoth Scale Flying at the Valley Radio Flyers Club, the, 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 the largest scale model aircraft uh, um, event in Australia. Uh, at the moment and we're talking um, like there's a criteria for planes scale planes only no sticks no sport jets um, has to be a scale model uh, monoplanes minimum wingspans 80 inch biplanes is 66 inch uh, so it's always a great event the best of the best large scale models are there people do travel from around Australia to come to it so 17th and 18th of September is when it's happening at the Valley Radio Flyers Club in Karamomus, which is a bit south of Shepparton, short drive, 10-minute, 15-minute drive out of Shepparton here in uh, Victoria. So get on down. Some really good prizes thanks to some excellent sponsors in Ozstar Models and Model Flight. Uh, uh, Ozstars is, well, first of all, if you uh, pre-enter, because pilots need to pre-enter. You need to go to the valleyradioflyers.com.au website to pre-enter. Pilot pre-entry is $45 on the scale. On the day, entry is $50. But if you pre-enter, you go into the draw to win a Hangar 930cc stick. Proudly donated by Model Flight. Um, they're a good plane. I've flown, I've had one. Uh, and flew really, really well. That all-rounder kind of plane. You want an all-rounder? Go and buy a stick. And and the Hangar 9 stick has the best scheme on it for a stick green and white none of this red with sort of crosses on the wings and all that i know it's traditional but uh that white and green is a beautiful color scheme on the hanging iron stick so flies well so that's been kindly donated by model flight and then also all pilots will be in the draw to win a ums radial engine and you can also buy additional tickets at ten dollars each to to go and draw to win that ums radial engine that is kindly being donated by ozstar's model the uh the naming rights sponsor, you could call them, of the event. Uh, so big thank you to Ozstar's model for uh, donating a, a, a radial engine. How cool is that? That'd be nice to win. Uh, it is a display day. Public is uh, allowed to come. $5 entry fee, under 16 free. Uh, food and drinks are always available. They do a mean hamburger. Can't wait to go and have a hamburger there because they're really, really nice. And, of course, your sausages and things like that. Um There'll be a major raffle prize. You can win a complete trainer set, um, pa- trainer package, it says, uh, in the raffle. Campus fee, there'll be a lot of people camping, $20 for the weekend, but most people will be camping, I think, earlier than that. I know people are going up on the Tuesday before the event, but the main days are the 17th and 18th of September. So 39th Mammoth Scale Flying, sponsored by Ozstar's model, 17th to 18th of September 
at the Valley Radio Flyers field. To find out more information, visit valleyradioflyers.com.au. And by the way, they don't pay me a cent to promote it. It's just that I love the event, so I get behind it. And look, if anybody's got any good events coming on, send me the flyer and uh, we'll help give it a plug as well. Really, really love events um, and happy to support anything out there. Now, I want to tell you a bit about, um, I was thinking about this concept in my mind during the week. And that concept is, you know, why do I do this podcast? And what are some of the challenges that I'm confronted in producing this podcast? And the history of this podcast really stems from when I started when I started doing the Flat Out RC thing, which which really presented as a magazine. But prior to that, I actually looked at running a television program um, called Flat Out RC and started playing around with a bit of a pilot episode. It was going to buy some airtime um, back on a station that no longer exists anymore, which was it wasn't going to cost an arm and a leg. And I thought, you know, the hobby needs to get out there in front of sort of the mainstream audience. If we can get it on the television, that'd be good. Um, challenge was I couldn't get I couldn't get advertisers and industry support to do that. So that got parked. And then I started, I had the opportunity when Airborne sort of folded, started a magazine, started a magazine, run that for a bit um, until ran out of industry support. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I want to do something because I'm a creative guy. I like to have a creative outlet. You know, yes, I work in marketing. Uh, but you know, I love music and writing songs and playing guitar and and designing things and just producing content. Videos, I love shooting videos. And me and the flat out RC video thing is really, I do it when I can. Um, you know, I don't have a set criteria or deadline to do stuff. It's whenever the opportunity arises for me to do something. I enjoy doing it. I use it as a bit of a test bed for other videos that I shoot for corporates. Um, you know, test gear out, different styles of things. And so I do that. But then the podcast came about as I was looking at, um, you know, what else can I do that I'd enjoy? And I thought, oh, I, I like talking. I know you like it. A lot of people that know me did a test too. But uh, I thought everybody, there's a lot of people that got stories out there. And, and uh, a lot of podcasts are basically a bunch of mates having to chat about stuff in the chinwag, which are pretty fun, some of them. But, uh, but I thought I've got to do something different. So that's why I went with the interview base. And so, you know, a lot of people thank me for all my efforts that I do to promote the hobby. I'm going to be honest. The hobby, yes, needs to be promoted. It needs to be promoted to a new audience, not necessarily to preaching to the converted, and I'm preaching to the converted. And most of the stuff that I've done is preaching to the converted. And the reason why I do it is because I enjoy doing it. So in other words, it's pretty selfish. I do it for myself, and I hope that other people might enjoy it as well. And I always said, look, even if I've got two listeners, I'd probably still produce this podcast because... Uh, I just have fun talking to different people and, and recording it. And uh, and if people, you know, I say I produce entertainment. You know, that's what it is. It's entertainment. A lot of people think that they go out to a flying field and, you know, shoot a video and do that kind of stuff that they're really, you know, helping to promote the hobby. And it's kind of true. But if you want to promote the hobby, go and run some ads and pay for some ads, which I have done in the past. I've run ads for stuff that I've done. But go and pay for ads to promote to a new audience because we're preaching to the converted people. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it, you know, it might sound selfish, but uh, you have to enjoy doing this stuff to want to keep on doing it. And the good thing with a podcast is it's not that hard, really. I'm good at, like, I'm stand, sitting here in my bedroom because it's always nice and quiet in the bedroom with lots of soft furnishings, not a lot of echo, get good audio quality. And uh, I'm, I'm talking to a microphone. Uh, so I am talking to myself, basically. The hardest thing is not the production of the podcast, it's finding the guests. Uh, and that's why I always appreciate people that send me through names. And I've chosen to record these interviews via Facebook Messenger. 
uh, or really any online um, sort of platform or chatting platform because the quality, the sound quality is a lot better than a, than a phone. And it's and I've got to sort of down to a fine art of how to set it all up and make sure it works. It doesn't take me long at all. Uh, and But finding the guests is always the challenge because you're always trying to find someone that's, something that's, somebody that's different and you know, I don't like to have jets, 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 and then aerobatic, aerobatic. But you know, I like to mix it up and have a bit of gliding, scale, aerobatics, jets, and 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 that kind of thing. And I started this idea of getting people on to talk about, you know, flying tips. Like we had Michael Timms uh, on talking about flying tips. I've had Martin Pickering talking about things like power boxes. Uh, had um, Peter Goldsmith come and talk about trimming model airplanes, stuff like that. So I, enjoy, you know, it's something that I've sort of added in the second year of the podcast. Uh, we're up to what 113 episodes, I think this one is, and so yeah, so that's always my challenge. And I, I've always tried to have a, a mixture of like some na- you know well-known people, and then the average Joe, because the average Joe story is just as good as the the, the big name or the so-called big name um, in the hobby. Um, and I've tried to have international guests, but the international guest thing becomes challenging because of time frames. When we were locked down in COVID, it was great; didn't have anything to do on the weekends, and I could just tee up some people to to come and have a chat, but I've worked out, I think uh, my eight o'clock here at night is 11 generally in Europe, 11 a.m. America's a different kettle of fish. Um, It's the other way around. It's sort of like 11 a.m. in the morning is like 8 p.m. at night. Uh, You know, I've had uh, uh, Fraser Briggs from New Zealand on a few times and that time difference, I think about three hours, two to three hours, I think. And um, that's been okay because he, he stays up late drinking anyway. And so he doesn't mind having a beer. But uh, that is the biggest challenge, just trying to, to tee up the guests. But uh, but so far, so good. Uh, sometimes I try to rack up interviews in advance um, to, to, to buy myself just a bit of freedom. Uh, but I've missed one week. Besides, I take January's off. That's my holiday time. I just need a break from everything. And um, I'd missed one because I had COVID and just I was away the prior week, got COVID from the US, uh, came back and thought, it's not going to happen. I was isolating away from home, didn't have my recording equipment, thought, no, nah, it's not going to happen. So it didn't happen. And that may happen in the future as well. There might be a week where um, I haven't been able to get a guest or I've had work commitments that meant that I couldn't really spend the time. And it's hard when you do this and you try to, you know, I set goals in my mind, like getting to 100 episodes was a big milestone for me. A, a personal milestone. You know, there's all these little personal milestones. Getting ten thousand followers on Instagram, which to some might not seem a lot, but um, in era modeling spheres, it's it's a lot. And I got to that, and and it's just consistency. You know, every day, most days, I'm doing an Instagram post, which means you've got to make an effort. And I don't mind it because you know when I'm when you see me at a flying field with a camera around my neck or filming a video, I'm actually having fun. I'm actually enjoying that that side of things as well. I'm happy to go to events and not fly. But capture them, capture it because I just enjoy that side of things as well. Uh, always have when I was involved in car racing. I love taking photos of, of cars and got involved with marketing in the in the in the category that I was involved in that kind of thing. So my wife thinks I've got ADD that I can't sit still, and I'm starting to think I probably do, and I don't mind that because I can get a lot done. <laughs> oh, I just got a fair bit of energy to burn sometimes. Uh, I do get tired, but all in all, I really enjoy doing this. And why do I do it again? because I enjoy doing it and the consequences. Some people say that it's I'm helping the hobby out. Some people say that I'm you know, promoting the hobby. Others will say that I'm doing it because I'm a narcissist and I like the sound of my own voice, and it's not true. Uh, I just enjoy creating content 
That's why I do it for a living. This is not my living. I'm doing it for fun. Guest time, my favourite part of the podcast. And this week's guest is Keith Quigg, uh, who I've known for a number of years now through my involvement at my local club, the uh, Pakenham and Districts. I'm going to call Aero Modelers Club. Actually, I should go and have a look at what the official name is of the club that I'm a member of, but it's because people create names and sometimes, like, it makes sense. Oh, see, now my internet's not working. Uh, it makes sense to call it the Pakenham District Aero Modelers Club, but it's I know it's not that and I should know better. But anyway, let's just move on because my internet's not working. The P&Ask Club, uh, he's president, um, just elected again as president, doing a good job um, leading the ship there. Long-time aero modeler. One of those guys that I've spoken to heaps of times at the club, um, now and again a phone call, that I really don't know his history. So I go into a lot of these kind of episodes, even though I might know somebody at a certain level, I don't know them at a deep level and uh, because we just don't sit at the flying club going saying, hey, Keith, how did you get involved in aero modeling? And that's what I enjoy. A couple of internet problems early on. I think that Keith and I had, um, it cuts out a little bit, um, but gets better about a couple of minutes in. So uh, apologize for that. But guess what? We don't own the internet here down in Australia, which is pretty bad. I actually have to, I get better internet connecting my laptop to my phone. That's giving me better uh, better um, coverage or better speed for when I record these interviews and uh, it's been sort of faultless so far. Uh, so anyway, over to my chat with Keith Quick. I think I'm slowly working through all my fellow club members. I've had many of them uh, on the Flat Out RC podcast. I've got another one. We have the president of the uh, P&Arks Club down here in Victoria, Keith Quick, joining us. Keith, love to have you on the podcast. Good day, Andrew. Um, great to be here and thanks for having me. Well, I sent you a message and I said, your number is up, Keith. Uh, it's your turn. You said <laughs> you must be running out of guests. And let's just say that every week I'm running out of guests because, uh, you know, there's, when you're trying to do a weekly podcast, the, the, the hardest thing in life is finding guests. And there's plenty to choose from. It's just you've got to coordinate time. So I'm, I'm, glad, you, I'm glad you're here. And I'm sure the listeners are glad to hear. Now, Keith, where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Well, Andrew, I guess like um, most of the esteemed guests you oh, on the podcast, it uh, it started um, yeah, with fairly equipment. Um, I built up a um, an aeroflight Trident. Actually, was my first uh, aeroflight. Um, that was a glider, isn't it? Years of, of, of school aeroflight Trident. Yeah, it was a glider. It was a twenty five five hundred, I think it was. And um, a friend of mine, Scott Millard, who I believe is still flying because yeah, you know, we took this thing up to the um, back of um, uh, the plant actually in Gladstone where I was going to school and uh, threw it off the cliff and probably crashed. But anyway, um, I think it was a Sandwa Dash 2. Two channel. Might be a JR Dash 2, yeah, to, to start. Um, and then from there, um, joined up in the in the Gladstone Club, which flew uh, off um, adjacent to the um, the Queensland Wheel at the time, because that's uh, all Where we was had. that the Queensland Wheel? Um, the Queensland Aluminum Plant QAL in Gladstone, okay. in Central Queensland. Yep, um, was a monster smelly plant. You you got this Trident right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna wind the clock back even further. Yeah. Where, where did yeah. you first see model aeroplanes? Like, how did it come into your head to go and build a Trident? Well, 
I, I had a few little ones with other bits and pieces, and um, of course, uh, not working that sort of thing. Um, but I hold on all that. So once I had my first uh, part-time job at the uh, airport in Glasgow building aeroplanes, um, I went out and um, went out and and bought one after scouring magazines, as as everyone does. I think um, it was probably Airborne Magazine or RCM um, back there. Um, I bought it from um, a guy called uh, Rhonda Chast also uh, in Brisbane, um, and it's all done over the phone, of course. And Rhonda Chastel's a tricker, and he um, became involved with me a little bit further on in his model as well. So, yeah, so the um, the Trident found its way back to my place, and then <clears throat> after a few um, lesson, successful lessons on that, um, I uh, found a, um, well, the guys in the Gladstone Club, a fuselage, and we plucked probably uh, placed a, another glob of that, put an OS-15 on it, and that became my first trainer. Um, and then after that was, like, of course, everyone had a hustler, and uh, we actually passed a hustler around in the Gladstone Club from member to member to help us uh, train on it. And a guy called uh, Ralph Swan was, again, a very, uh, very talented flyer, great guy, and um, took me out. I'd play it early one morning and we stayed there all day until I could, until I could fly properly. So, um, and that was the start of it. What year are we talking? It's been the 80s? Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, so, um, yes, 78, 79. Okay. Yeah, good. That's about, that's about right when the hustles were around and, uh, and the, uh, I'll tell you what, aeroflight kits. What we would have done without yeah, them, like so many people had them. I had some, still got one, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it wouldn't be good to get, yeah, the hustler, the, the Nova, yeah, Nova's floating around the club. Um, Gemini in later years, they were still around Gemini, yeah, before Nova Gemini. Um, I was 46, I think, so yeah, Aeroflight uh, was, yeah, if you flew model planes in the area, you knew you knew Aero. That's true. Okay, Good so Good you, you, you get going with the glider. What, so after that, you said you powered that with a 15cc? No, we uh, I actually forget where the another glider wing was. We attached to a, a you know a, an overstated fuselage of sorts and um, OS 15 on the front of it with the gangly wire fuselage. Okay. And, um, yeah, that became an abonitio trainer for, for a few of us. Um and it, it, it actually lasted quite a while. It probably fell apart with the usual glow you know, fuel get soaked into into joints. But um, uh, I think another one was actually the pilot pilot at the time, not not pilot RC, but pilot kits. Um, made a quick built series, and I had a couple of those QB, maybe a QB twenty H. It was called a high winger, and um, and an Astro, not an Astro, not an Astro hold, but just a plant Astro. I think it was MK models. Um, which came along, um, yeah, in in various stages. Yeah? And I think then I, I by then I'd purchased a, a JR five channel. Maybe um, it was called a Pulse. Maybe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That makes um, sense. I remember those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, pretty much used JR up until mm-hmm. five, maybe. maybe 
mid mid eighties, early nineties, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Not not that one radio, but no. a few of them. And so, okay, so then how did you keep on progressing? Did you find a, a pathway that you, you wanted to go towards or was a bit of everything? It was a bit of everything. I, I was sort of more leaning towards the scale um, models. And um, once, uh, you know, school had finished uh, in Gladstone, I worked there for a few years and then I, um, I left Gladstone and went to King Roy outside of Brisbane and began my apprenticeship and... There was no um, model club in King Roy, so I mean this would have been in about 1983, I think it was. Joby L. Peterson. King Roy. Joby L. Peterson, that's the one. Um, and so uh, with myself and uh, a gentleman called Bill Heinegger and Daryl Hanson, again, Daryl Hanson I think still flies up the Sunshine Coast, uh, we formed the King Roy Aero Model Society. Um, in King Roy, funnily enough, and I'm pretty. They're still they're still in operation today. Not the same flying bill they moved on, but uh, one of the big progressive points of uh, King Roy Club was, um, and again I mentioned Ron DeChassel. He came over and helped us get the club going. Um, bought quite a few flyers over from Brisbane and surrounds, and we initiated an annual fly in there, which was a huge success. Due in no small part to Ron, so um, that was a that was a it was a great time. It was a good time flying. Um, but called Roy Dray came over. Um, other aeromodelers might recall Roy from, um, he built an Avro Avian, I think it was, which was a replica of a Hinkler model. Um, and again, it was, was an incredible piece of machinery. Yeah. And so were you, yeah. build, were you building a lot of scar models in that era, in that the early 80s? A lot of, um, mostly from kits. I didn't... Um, much scratch building at that time because I was working long hours and six long weeks and all that sort of thing. But a couple of um, bigger kits started to come along then with um, uh, some Bud Newsom stuff and a rock for Champ. Um, I had a, a Bud Newsom 310 at one stage, um, some pattern planes, um, the old glider. So it was always a little bit of everything, to be honest. So. Um, uh, some ducted fan models came into being for the life of me. I, I can't remember which ones, but I know they were screaming, screaming things. I was uh, 46 VRX, I think we had in those. So. A little bit of pylon racing, not so much. Um, but yeah, I always enjoyed trying a little bit of everything. That was um, that was a few that I thought. So. What was it like starting a club? Like, was it a hard thing to do back then? It didn't. Uh, I don't remember as being a chore because. Um, we, uh, and of course, this is a time when if you want to make contact with someone, you have to go and see them and, and talk to them. So, um, and Bill Heinegger was, uh, worked at the newspaper in Kingaroy, and he said, I oh, have to go and see such and such. And, and Neil Hanson, oh, I think he ran a small um, Manchester business of sorts in Kingaroy. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, we all got together and um, met at um, the my mum my and dad's place in, in King Roy, I think maybe ten of us or something like that. Formed the club, and it it, it it wasn't difficult. You know, it was as I said, Ron helped us out considerably with all the the procedures we had to do back then at the MAAQ, and I think Ron Hetrich at the time was the president of the MAAQ, and he was president for a long time in Queensland. So. Um, but it, it, it was um, 
it was great fun. Um, everyone there just wanted to fly. We, we gathered at the the field that we that we mowed every couple of weeks, and um, it just it just went from there. So the annual flying became pretty big events uh, in, in Kangaroo. Um, some of the sponsorship came from the company that I was an apprentice to, which was James Watt Electrical, um, not efficient anymore, but. Um, it, it was really a lot of fun and Kingwood was a small town so it wasn't hard to, to garnish a lot of support from, from the locals and um, it was it wasn't unusual to have you know dozens of cars lined up outside our paddock every weekend when we fly there so yeah, it was good okay. times so well. you didn't have a clubhouse or anything like that no we had trees to sit under yeah <laughs> sometimes nice just keeping it simple I reckon it was very simple. The, the paddock was pretty rough, um, but it was you know, very small by today's standards. But um, we uh, we had a ball there. Yeah, lots of good fun. Yeah. Do you ever have uh, any problems with interference with your radios? The the only time I can remember losing well, well, one aeroplane particularly was back in Gladstone. Um, I'd, I'd actually left my radio transmitter outside one night in the rain, so. <laughs> I took it apart and dried it out and thought, yep, that'll be fine. But it turned out that it wasn't fine. And um, that, I think, was attached to a, an Aeroflight Apollo. I think it was the aeroplane, which was... Oh, a, yeah, yeah. It wasn't... It, wasn't, yeah, it was well after the Hustler. And um, I had it um, painted up in the colours of uh, Bush Pilots and or, or Air Queensland, it was, because at the time they were... Um, uh, flying into Gladstone, so it was on. We had it at the airport for a, a couple of days on display, but uh, yeah, then it came home in a paper bag from Lutlets. And um, but so much as interference, I, I can't really recall too many times. There was probably, I guess, I was I mainly come into the scene at 29 megs and I missed the 27 meg era, thankfully. So I think it was 29 and then 36 megs, maybe, yeah, something like that, 36. But, um, you know, there was probably, uh, it was probably more pilot error than, than anything that caused any, you know, 99% of issues back then and probably still the same today, I would, uh, I would suspect. So. I've got to ask this question because it, there's always this recurring trend that males hit the age of about 18, finish school and get involved in other things besides error modelling. Did you dabble in anything else or did you stick to the error modelling thing? Well, when I was well, while I was still at school in the last years, I was studying for my, my private license and um, had you know, had vague aspirations of, of flying for a living, but um, it didn't. Yeah, I, privately for a while, had lots of uh, lots of time flying in outback Queensland and far north Queensland and that sort of thing, and um, but it never sort of um, you know I didn't pursue it hard enough to, to make a career out of it basically. So. Um, you know, went into uh, into um, becoming an electrician instead, and that was probably the best thing I ever did. Um, but um, no, it, it, I've pretty much been um, been flying these things for um, for as long as I can remember. No cars, motorbikes, or boats. Well, the, the cars came along, but they had to suit the aeroplanes. They had to be vans or, or station wagons uh, to to pack the aeroplanes in. I think I, my my first brand new car was a Honda Civic station wagon. In, um, 1983 or something like that, which I would pile the planes in. And um, because again, when I moved to Kingaroy, there was a lot of different events on you know, every couple of months in Warmbur over in um, 
Kincan Bay, around the Brisbane, um, that sort of thing. So we're always going somewhere, uh, flying model aeroplanes. Uh, after King Roy, I moved around a fair bit, um, became member for Callow Valley Model Club up in Billawila, um, club in Rockhampton, who I think still has perhaps one of the uh, the chapters as a member up there as well. Um, Travelled to Western Australia, flew in the Geraldton area for a little while. Um, I was actually in Terralgan at some point, maybe 1992, I think it was up in Terralgan working there. So at some point, there was always a a model aeroplane in the in the car at some point. So, so yeah, it sounds like you've you've never really give, given up at all. It's like you've been pretty strong all these years. It's fairly addictive, as we all know, and um, it's the. Uh, I mean, there was a you know odds and ends of breaks in between places um, because uh, my, my work took me everywhere and I travelled all over the country and over New Zealand those sort of places. But um, there, there wasn't too long between between flying events, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I know you do like to, attending an event, camera in yes. hand, taking lots of photographs. Well, um, yes, yeah, it's like you know, like yourself, Andrew. Promotion of of what we do is paramount, I think, and um, um, making you know making other models aware of um, you know there's a like, other places to go, Shepparton, especially in Victoria. <clears throat> you know, there, there's so much opportunities down here to get away to different clubs to fly, experience different, um, you know, different clubs, chat to different people, fly at different runways. It's um, it's it's great. And that's um, I think that's 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 part of the the idea of taking lots of photos and posting lots of photos all the time and showing blokes. Here it is. This is what you can do. Get out there and do it. Yeah. Well, we actually when you when you mentioned that about how lucky we are here in Victoria. I reckon that I could travel two and a half hours in any direction and visit a bunch of different clubs. And like you said, sure. they're just yeah. they're yeah. all different in some ways. Have you seen there's this relatively new club down here in Victoria that's located? I can't remember the name of it, but it's located down Gippsland Way, I think it is. Um, it's located right next to a, a lake. It's almost like a little islandy kind of little thing that pokes out into this lake. And there's a it's runway a club. I think you're talking about. What's that called? Brag. B-R-A-G? Could be, could be. And right, it's yeah. it's only yeah. only been open a few years, I think. And um I was I saw an aerial photograph of it the other day and I'm thinking, gee, that's crazy, flying over the water. Basically you'd be doing your circuits over the water. Um and of course if you're into float flying. I have seen that one, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely definitely on the list, and I could see myself sitting in a very comfy chair at the end of the day. Um yeah. after after a good flying session there. It definitely. always it always helps yeah. when you've got a good outlook, I reckon, when it comes to flying. Yeah, and we've got some good oh, clubs. We've got a good view. Yeah. Okay, so you've 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 moved around a fair bit now. Let's move, say, into the nineties. What did your aero modelling look like in the nineties? Did you get into the ARFs as they started to come out, or or what? The first ARF that I had, and it probably would have been in the in the very early nineties, was a. Um, um, again, a pilot, uh, pilot easy kit they were, and it was um, a called a superstar, I believe. But no, it's a twenty-five SSR on it, and it flew like a dog. It was absolutely awful. Um, it would um, it, it would snap even if you, um, you know, basically anything below uh, half throttle line. Pull it apart. Try. I think 
they heated the wings. It was uh, it was a bolt sort of construction, but but foam covered or draped in foam or something like that on it. And um, it suffered a demise um, on takeoff one day when the rudder servo banked or froze, whatever it did, um, into into the far corners, and that was the end of that. So it was uh, almost impossible to repair it. So, but after that, um, model. Tech, I think they were called. That man was a with a Cap Twenty One, mm. which was basically a wooden kit, and you you finished it, painted it, cut it, and all that sort of thing. And it was really nice, but a little bit heavy, and again suffered from the classic snaps that the caps tend to. And I think from memory, it had an OS eighty or ninety and a four stroke in it, and the four strokes were were pretty new. They're pretty heavy and not that much power. Basically, so um, yeah, that, that was probably my first um, recollection of ARS. And then <clears throat> when I was, uh, I, I ended up in Townsville for a long time, and I think in the um, the early two thousands, the ARS revolution uh, really you know, hit the skies, so to speak. And um, I was a member of the, the Townsville Era Model Society for quite a while. And um, it it really took hold. There was, there was a little bit of building going on, but but again, most of us well, me particularly at that time, working long hours, you know, sometimes six day weeks and even seven day weeks at one point. And so time for for building was 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 pretty limited. So um, basically, it wasn't for AOS back in that time. It would be very very little buying activity. So it was it was a godsend for. Yeah, for a lot of people, and I think it's what has kept us flying certainly in the last decade. For aero modelling. What about uh, electric models? Did you get into them when they started to come out? Yeah, I went through, um, <clears throat> I suppose this would have been in Townsville again, um, where um, I electrified a few larger models um, from, from memory. Um, a Great Plains RV4. With an electric motor, I, for the life of me, I couldn't remember what size it was and all that sort of thing. But um, it didn't last that long. I, I really enjoyed the, the sound of, of engines and went back to, I had a fleet of OS-120 two-strokes and Sato-125 four-stroke engines. Um, but then I think one weekend, because, you know, the, the nitro fuel that you used back in those days, you used use a lot of fuel and all that sort of thing. I, I realised on, on one weekend, I'd gone through about 200 bucks worth of you know, <laughs> nitro fuel and all that sort of excess well. And I discovered uh, the daily 20 engine. <clears throat> Maybe one of the, oh, probably a very early version. And put that in the front of a um, Great Plains stick, big stick, I think it was. And... Um, Promptly started to uh, dispose of all my glow engines and uh, completely petrol. So, run on smell of an oily rag and plenty of power and that sort of great stuff. Oh, I've uh, I've made that choice. I don't have any nitro engines at the moment. Uh, I've just got the uh, the petrol powered stuff and uh, and electrics. I've got this thing. All I've just I've just finished a thirty cc aerobatic plane that I've made electric. Uh, just to see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, normally I say 30cc and up is when I make that transition to petrol and anything below that, yep. I'm happy to see electric. But uh, I, I saw you out the field last uh, last weekend and 
I whenever I'm in a rush or don't have a lot of time, I just like that ease of electric planes where you just turn up, pull them out of the car, whack a battery in and off you go. Even though when you think about it, the difference between putting petrol in it and, you know, organizing yourself with le- with electric power, it's not that much different really. I just it just seems easier, feels easier. It does. I think um we all get you know, we're all so spoiled these days. Um if, if an aeroplane takes any longer than ten minutes to put together the field, you know, we, we want it to happen quicker than that. And get it out of the, the car, the trailer, whatever, put the wings on, fuel it up, and let's go and fly, charge the batteries. And I'm lucky. I have a couple of small ones, the small foam aircraft that are still uh, running on um, on electrics, and they're good for those um, late afternoons when you go away to a place like Shepparton or something like that. And, you know, they're the flying zone for the day, but you sit back for an hour or so and just um, fly around in the, in, the, in the late night air. That's good stuff. Yeah. Okay, so let's fast fast forward to now. I know that you you know you've you've had many different models. Um, it's hard to keep up. But uh, what's the current hangar look like? Current hangar. <clears throat> well, um, today I was actually um, flying my hangar line uh, X Cub out at out at um, out at Nambarks. There was three of them out there by by coincidence, but um, and just finalising a few trim flights on the Flex Innovations RV8, um, the, the DA7 out the front, which is just a, a beautiful aeroplane. Yeah, how does that go? Because they, they look, they're quite, it's a decent size, isn't it? It is a decent size. It's um, it's quite a large aeroplane. It's pretty light, though. I think it's, yeah, it should be like about, kilos, tops, something like that. What was but, that? How many um, kilos? About 12, I think. Really? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, and it just flies beautifully. Um, it's you know, a typical, you, you'd almost say a floater. Um, significant size control service I've gotten uh, with flaps. So if you really wanted to, it's it's a 3D machine. I think they actually uh, promote it as being um, a 3D capable airplane. But um, I've seen, I've, I've heard of them flying with um, uh, Sato 60cc twin four strokes uh, right up to the, well, like I said, I've got DA70 in mine, I think it's in, yeah. Mobs of power, totally powerful. So, very nice airplane. And um, yeah, I've still got my um, the collection of. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a large glider, which is probably one of my most favourite models, even though I don't fly it all that often. But it's a, a Bowers model, Diana two, and it's a very, very nice uh, fully composite glider. Yeah, five and a half meter wingspan, I think. And um, it, it's it's. A pleasure to fly that one. It can, um, it's capable of fairly high speed. Uh, it, it's a brilliant thermal machine, a much better thermal glider than I am a thermal pilot. But um, it's probably one of my my favourite aircraft. But yeah, these things come in droves. You want to hear take uh, something out? I generally have two airplanes in the trailer all the time and focus on them for a few days of the week and then change it over. Um, got a couple of jets sitting in there at the moment. The HSD model. Um, all foam jets, which um, people just love to um, take wow, is that really foam? But um, they actually go extremely well. They're very easy to put together, great to fly. Um, you can be airborne in literally 10 minutes at the flying field, stick the wings on, and uh, and off you go. So I'm, I'm having a ball with those at the moment. So a bit of everything still. The foam that they use for those jets is a, a sturdier foam, isn't it? It's not like the EPP. Is it a bit different or well, something? I guess it is. They it's promoted as being you know x amount stronger than this type of foam and, and whatnot. But um, 
you know, I guess this type of technology just keeps getting better and better all the time. How they do it, no idea. But um, I, I do tend to, to spray a couple of coats of clear uh, lacquer over them just to you know, preserve them for that little bit longer because uh, I, I do rack up the flights. The, the first HSD model I've got is just about hit 37 flights or something at the moment in the last um, couple of months. So it's racking up the hours. The, I find that you know the lacquer sort of helps them look a bit better for a bit longer. So, oh, yeah. um, but, but very sturdy and just fly extremely well. Um, throw them together, as I said, put the turbine in, put the fuel in like the fire and off they go. Mm -hmm. They fly extremely well. What are you running? What mode are you running in that? Uh, I've been running the new Linton uh, turbines. Um, both of them are um, uh, uh, X80 turbines. Uh, in two of them, and then I've got um, a Swywin SW80 in another one. So, um, but the Lintons are proving really good. Very happy with them so far. Um, they're the new kid on the block, but so far so good. Um, I, I think one of them is uh, clocking up about seven hours at the moment, 44 starts, and hasn't missed a beat. So I'm quite happy with that. So, yeah, that's uh, good. Yeah. Yeah. All roads lead to jets. So that, is that your first foray into jets? No, I had a couple of jets uh, when I was living in Townsville. Um, one of them was actually given to me by a guy up there because um, he wasn't that – he, he was he was more of a, a a buyer of models rather than flying them, so I used to oh, put them for him. But um, I didn't bring any of those down to Victoria with me, So, and that was probably nine years ago, so – um, it's only been in the last um, less than 12 months that I've you know, gotten back into them, so to speak. And they're so much better than they ever have been. And like like all the all the brand names, they just keep getting better and better all the time. More reliable, more power, use less fuel, easier to use. And um, you know, it's 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 just one of the facets of this hobby. Everything just keeps getting better and better all the time. And relative. Relatively good prices compared to uh, compared to what equipment used to be even five or six years ago. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Okay, so what else you got? Um, a venerable cub, uh, three and a half meter <clears throat> world model cubs, which I think is in, a, in its seventh year now. Um, uh, just something I drag out every now and then, but it's a great tow plane. Um, it has a daily sixty up the front, and um, just it just keeps going. Uh, I think um, it's had about three or four <clears throat> overhauls in, a, in its lifetime. But um, there was an identical um, one of these World Models Cups. It was actually at, um, at Varms, and um, I think it clocked up over 10 years of service. So uh, mine, mine's only a young one at the moment. Um, what else? Um, there's um, – have I um, – for a sports model, I have a Watt 4 XL you know, with a DLE 55 up the front, and it's a Chris Foss designed model, which um, some of some of your uh, listeners may may know the name Chris Foss. He's an English guy, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it's it's also equipped with a with a tow hook. Um, it, it's a bit harder to use for tow duties that one because it's um, it's under a two meter wingspan, so when it gets up at about seven or eight hundred feet, it becomes you know, pretty small. And um, that's why I like the, the bigger, the bigger cub or the even the X cub at nearly three meters is, is much easier to see at that sort of height. So, um, bigger is definitely better. 
Have you done, like, where are you doing the aero toes? Have you been, you know, towing gliders up? Um, I haven't seen you at the club doing it, but no doubt you've uh, We've had a couple of impromptu ones at P and Darks. Um, we've got a few more, um, well, uh, over COVID, we had some members uh, join us from Varms who, um, again, as most of your listeners would know, in Victoria Varms at the moment transitioning to a, to a new club field. So, some of their um, some of their larger glider guys ended up out of um, out of pan ducks. Uh, until uh, arms was really located, it was actually it was perhaps uh, once a month um, towing uh, aero tow um, at at the arms facility at at where they used to be located at one turn up and yeah, um, right. get down there every now and then. Stevie Malcolm was uh, you know one of the regular tow pilots there. Um, a little bit of tying up at uh, Gerildry, and one of the um, one of the things I wanted to to prove up at Gerildry with with that cub that could actually tow up my uh, Bowdus glider successfully because the Bowdus is a very slippery machine, and um, I thought that it would actually overtake the uh, overtake the cub. But um, uh, with a bit of help, I had uh, Mike O'Reilly uh, up there, and he's very um, very very familiar with the. The Diana, so uh, he did the, the, the glider duties, I did the tow duties, and it turned out it turned up no issues at all. So I was very happy. With any uh, any tricks needed? You know, a bit of flap or spoiler or something like that? Or yeah, well, at the the first flight, we kept the wheels down and a little bit of flap so that um, you know, created the sort of drag to keep it that in tow, so to speak. Um, it was, I guess, we were very lucky up there. Conditions were just perfect um, for, for all sorts of flying and drilling this year. So. Um, yeah, it just it totally like a dream. It was like it was always meant to be there. So it was good. There's something romantic about um, glider tugs and scale gliders. You know, I've still I've still got my eye on one, um, just because I love the look of scale gliders. That slippery single seater kind of look is just something that I yeah gets the juices flowing for me. So yeah, it's just another just another facet, I guess of. A bear of modding that we all enjoy, but um, one of the things that had been on my to do list for a long time was to attend the Geraldry uh, Aero Tow, and uh, I'm pretty happy that I've been to a couple of those so far and um, certainly locked in to go to the next one again next year. So it, it's a great event, and I really enjoy it. That's around Easter time, isn't it? Yeah, it's over Easter. Um, which, well, you know, depending on which way you look at it, because Jerul is not a big place, so it's actually fairly quiet up there over Easter. Uh, the trick is, of course, to get out of Melbourne before the Easter traffic on the oh, on Good Friday, so head up on Wednesday and then come home on Sunday. That's the trick. Yeah. A great place to fly gliders. Um, anyone who's, you know, there are a lot of people who attended that event for, you know, 20 years in a row or whatever. So, um, I'm definitely a newbie for that, but it is, it is one of those events you put on your calendar to, to get to, for sure. Yeah. Got any aerobatic models? I have a uh, Extreme Flight laser. Oh. I think everyone has a laser in there. Yeah, I must have a laser. What size yeah. is it? Yeah. Uh, it's an 91 inch, so it has, the again, the DA70 uh, twin up the front on a, um, on a single cam, and absolutely glorious model to fly. I've flown that in a couple of the, the um, big scale uh, flying only scale categories, and um, it uh, it's a sweet thing to fly. It does yeah. very nicely, um, handles the wind, handles whatever you want. So it's um, yeah, mild to wild. 
and it's a very nice aeroplane. Did you used to have a Pilot RC, or did you sell that? The Edge? Um, Hamilton Oh, the Edge? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I sold that on um, a couple of years ago to, I guess, I can't remember who I sold it to. It was, it had a daily 60 twin up the front. And um, again, yep, really, like all, all those aerobatic machines fly so well and they, in the right hand, they're a formidable machine. So. You're very good at recycling planes. Like, I, you know, ever since I've known you, there's planes that you've had, you've sold it up, uh, off other stuff and then replaced it with new stuff. Is that just a philosophy you have of just, you know, turning things over? Because I don't, th- I don't think you're a hoarder. I'm definitely not a hoarder, no. Um, and I, that, that goes for everything in, in the house too. For, you know, my philosophy is that it's in there in 12 months, get rid of it. You obviously don't need it. So um, not not that brutal with, with uh, models and stuff, but... Um, basically, if I get uh, a good run out of a, a plane and um, I decide, okay, it's time to get something else and I sell it all for a reasonable price, I, you know, I always think I sell my stuff reasonably priced so that because once I decide to sell it, I don't want to hang on to it and um, someone else can get good use out of it for another couple of years and so be it. So, um, yep, turn them over, uh, get something new. I think probably the, the, the yellow world models Cub is um, probably my longest surviving one at the moment. Um, the the Diana two will will never leave the sh- will never leave my, my grasp. And I did get hold of a um, a fairly rare, well not, not rare in the day, but rare now, Hangar Nine um, Pawnee, the one third scale model. Um, oh yeah, which I put a DLE one twenty in front. Actually drove up to just outside Golden. <laughs> <laughs> that thing every couple of days because it was just too good to, to knock back. Pristine condition had had not been flown. Put together by a gentleman who was very um, fussy about his assembly, and um, yeah, so that, that's another one that will probably never leave uh, leave my grasp. Are you going to glide a toe with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It's um. It's it's. <laughs> it was pretty much the intent of, of of buying that machine because they do make a, a very good glide platform and um. Again, one of the, the tow planes up at uh, Girardi, which um, Greg uh, Lee flies, and I think it's been owned by my model for so more than ten years now, and it just keeps it just keeps towing. Um, it's a it's a, a solid machine, great great tow platform. I think he's trying to replace it, but I don't know what he can replace it with. To be honest, <laughs> I know it's a bit tricky sometimes. But the um. Mm. It's good to see the guys that uh, joined from Varms, the the Packenham Club, and they bring their their cub out there and tow up their uh, their glide is something a bit different. And you know what I've found? I've actually flown with them, my aerobatic planes, and they're great to fly with. They're yeah. so relaxed and, you know, they've been up in the air. I've been up in the air. We just have a bit of a chat about, you know, you're coming in for land. Okay, I'll stay a bit high, give you yeah. some room. But never been a problem, never, ever been a problem. So good bunch of guys. Very experienced pilots. Um, they can pretty much put a glider at their, <clears throat> at their feet each and every time, yeah. um, regardless of where they release. Um, Tim Ball and Anthony Peter have joined us uh, from from Barnes, and as I said, they bring a lot of uh, glider experience to the club, and you know, raise a bit more interest. So there's a few more guys out there who have given arrow tongue a go just on the premise of, of watching those blokes do it. So you know, that you know, that, that's worth more than you, know, you can say when when guys bring that sort of experience to the club and, and people lock on and say, yeah, I want, I want to give that a go, and they do. So I was talking to somebody the other day about how. Things just can, you know, snowball 
you know, it starts with one person bringing something into the field that people, other people see and say, oh, that's pretty good. Next minute, you know, we're seeing it with these foamy jets. You go back yeah. even two years and people are going, foam jets? You've got to be joking. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, no, they're really cool. And more and more people are inclined to want to spend their money on a foam jet when it was just unheard of. Like two years ago, we were laughing at it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it just keeps, yeah, on, sure. keeps on breeding and uh, activity breeds activity in a kind of way. So, you know, I've always noticed um, when I was selling model planes that uh, people get really motivated after a good day flying and, and most people were spending money in the hobby if they were going – after going out to the field. It wasn't in – Winter was the worst time for me. You know, when you, when you think sure. people want to build, it was always summer when people would go out flying a lot because the weather was better and start spending money because they, they were really motivated. So uh, not that I'm in the market for anything, even though my new jet is coming soon. Um, oh, okay. I thought I'd better That's put right. that in, uh, Keith, because, you know, some people joke about how I mention my jet all the time. So to all those people that uh, like to rib me, yep, my new jet's Oh, I think it's going to be shipped very soon. I do know, but there will be. I'll, I'm keeping it a surprise, but I've seen it. Photos. What color of, is it? Not telling. <laughs> surprise. Something yeah. special. But let's just say I'll fall in love with it. I've been walking around the house showing the photo to my family, and they go, "Don't care, not interested." And I'm going, "But it's great. Look at that. That's your that's your inheritance that I'm spending." Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, now you, you also found your way into the administration side of the hobby. Yeah. Where did that start? Um, well, besides starting well, a I club. Guess probably, yeah, I guess it probably started back in whatever it was, 1983, when we formed the King Aero Models Society. But um, it, it, it probably took hold a bit, probably in mid, well, I guess around 2010, I guess, when I. I uh, became president of the, of the Townsville Club, and um, we had a lot of fun. Townsville was a fantastic place to, to fly model aeroplanes. Really, except in the middle of the summer. Yeah, it'd be hot. But obviously, got a bit hot. But why is it a good place to fly? Well, um, well, all round, all year round, basically. Again, except for the the, the flood and the hot season. But there, um, the there were two clubs. Well, there are two clubs in Townsville. One is Tracks, and the other one is Taz. T A S. And I was a member of <clears throat> of Taz for whatever that is. And um, our flying field was in the lease of the Ross River Dam area. So it was never gonna it's never gonna go anywhere. And it's just miles and miles of plenty of open space. Not far out of town, I think probably 15 Ks tops. And um, one of the most exciting things up there was a, a guy up there who was into pulse jets. And right. um, very, very noisy, but very dynamic things. And so um, Sammy would, um, and he became an absolute expert in these things. So we had plenty of room to fight them. So uh, I guess after that in um, in, in Queensland, I uh, um, went on to the uh, NAAQ, was vice president up there for a little while, and then became president after Robin Clow left the role. And um, yeah, always enjoyed a little bit of a challenge with that side of things. and. Um, Coming back down, or when I relocated to Victoria in 2014, I thought I've had enough of that for a little while. <laughs> I don't want to do that for a little while. And um, joined, in uh, fact, the first club I joined in here was Greensboro, and um, just a tremendous club, made me extremely welcome. Um, a guy called uh, Graham Anderson, I think, may have been involved in the 
administration of uh, GMAC at the time. Um, yeah, an absolute gentleman. And I really enjoyed uh, flying at Greensboro, but my aeroplanes unfortunately outgrew the, the field there and I, I came out to PM Darts and um, said, yeah, this is this is the place for me. It was, it was fantastic. Um, lots of open spaces. And um, in the last couple of years there, I decided to uh, put my hand up for committee positions and started with the CFI and uh, was uh, lucky enough uh, to become president of PN Darts, which um, which I consider a, an honour. It's a it's a very good club. Has so much to offer and um, is is has the potential to be probably one of the best flying fields uh, in Victoria, in in my humble opinion. Well, I think um, you know, and, and congratulations, you're back on as president uh, again for another year, and and it's good to see that the clubs, I call it stable. It's 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 going along nicely. The facilities are pretty good. We're fortunate to have some pretty good, like something as simple as like on the weekend when I turned up with my electric models. Um, it was I was a bit of a mad rush. It was a very late call for me to come out to the field. It was like I left home at just a bit after one o'clock. I think normally I like to get to the field at nine o'clock in the morning at least, and have a good day out. So I was pretty rushed. But then. You know, some of the some of the young guys that I was talking to the night before said, "I oh, just come down. You know, you can charge your batteries at the field." And I went, "Oh yeah, I can." And I charged a yeah. few, a handful, uh, before I came, uh, and you know, whatever I could in the time, a lot of time, and then uh, then thought, "Well, I'll just put the charger on." And there's just plenty of charging, like massive amounts of charging facilities there. We can plug in and and you know, multiple runways and. Uh, I, it was the first time I flew off. What's the runway near the, the clubhouse there? Is that the east or the west? It's east. Uh, it's the eastern right because, um, you know, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have the eastern runways. As you come into the club, that's the one on the left. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. yeah. So I flew off that for the first time. I've actually never flown off that runway before, which is surprising. I've been there, member for what, about a year and a half or a bit, a bit longer. But um, but I, what I love about that club and the reason why I went there was because I think – I look at it as a long-term investment um, and a long-term commitment in that uh, I think that a lot of clubs may start to close in the next 10, 15 years, either pushed out because of where they're located or whatever. And I wanted to sort of, what I, oh, way I explained it was bed my roots in at a club that was going to be stable, that I knew that it was going to be there. And they own the land. The club owns the little, the co-op owns the land, which means we ain't going anywhere. Uh, in any hurry, and and we do know that there's I call it a swamp. I joke that it's a swamp because it does flood. Um, you know, in some really really heavy rains, we've had some flooding issues there, but uh, seems to be pretty good at the moment. And um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's like you said, it, it has the potential to be one of the best flying fields. And I know that you you, you got some planning or well, started a planning phase for maybe refurbishing the runways. You know, what's behind that? Yep. Look, what what's behind that is is thinking about where the club is going to be in you know five years time or ten years time. Exactly what you just said, because it is in a very very fortunate position uh, with the the ownership of the land through the co-op. Um, the, the three separate runways, uh, a, a certified ceiling height of fifteen hundred feet for you know, for gliders and and jets and um, IMAC guys and all that sort of thing. So it really does have a little bit of everything. And as you've seen, on days when it's extremely busy, we can have all three runways in operation um, um, with 
I've, yeah, we've had jets flying out there. We've had aerotow guys on the Western Strip and smaller phone models on the Eastern Strip or helicopters. So it really can, everything can, can coexist in a place like Pendarks. Added to that, as you said, charging facilities, power everywhere, toilets and showers. It's, it's a really good club. And um, with, and again, echoing what you said, it's as safe as any club could possibly be, um, you know, in the future. And that was all because of a, a small group of people who, who got together 40 or 50 years ago and said, you know, we need to do something that's going to cement our future. And they did. And buying that land uh, at the time, I, can't, I don't know what it was worth back then. Uh, and now, so what, what I think uh, is, is the next step is, well, what are we going to do for the next 40 years now? What, what is our contribution to the club going to be? It's not just a matter of mowing the runways. You know, there has to be some sort of a, a plan, and I, I'm not the expert, and that's part of my my uh, method in um, in the committee was to formulate a, a planning committee to um, to look into what parts we need to look at that that are going to keep the club strong and keep it growing into the future, and um, that consists of a few different people, um, some of whom haven't been on committees before. Who but may have a business sense or bring something of uh, their, their business skills to a, to a table to, to furnish us ideas. And um, it's not just one particular thing. Yes, the runways is a big thing because all the members, or a, a vast majority of the members, have you know, runways. They're, you know, they could do with an upgrade. And the basis of any modelling club, besides the membership base, is the runways. So with, um, and you know, runways are perfectly viable how we are now, but they do stuff from cracking in in heat and um, extended seasons and all that sort of thing. So part of that part of the exercise is, is into looking to make them make the runways better. Uh, sealed runways were, were were thought of, but it's probably sealed runways are probably not ideal. But um, it, it's an ongoing process. It's not an easy process. There are lots of questions to ask and and and. Uh, lots of you know, lots of eyes to be dotted and T's to be crossed before we uh, get to a point where we commit to it. So, and then the members have to agree to it. I mean, if that's what they want to do, then fine, we'll, we'll move ahead. But if they decide no, it's too expensive, we don't want to do that, then we don't do it. It's that simple. But um, you know, we have to open ourselves up to thinking a little bit outside the box. These sort of things. Well, yeah, I think um, you know. We we suffer from a, a sort of it's a funny soil there. I've never seen a soil like uh, like the out at the field and uh, and like you said, we, we suffer from this cracking problem. And you know, being out at the field the other day and flying off the strip, you know, it is a bit it is a wavy kind of thing. And so yeah, I think you know most members would say, yep, let's. Uh, you know, like you said, they're totally flyable. Uh, but you know, if, if you want to spruce it, spruce things up and go that next level, you really got to look at the runway. So it does make make a lot of sense. But I keep on saying, you know, we could have this multifunction RC club where we have RC cars Absolutely. out the front, yeah. and then we have put a dam in or something. We're going to have RC boats that we're just, you know, okay, not that it's on the radar, but it's great when you own the land and you have that much. Land. I keep on saying, Keith, there's two things we need: a motorbike track so I can ride a motorbike around. And a table, table tennis tables, and I could just come and live out of the field because there's toilets and there's showers, and you've got a clubhouse and a barbecue, so it's just it's perfect for for, for my plans of being homeless when I'm older. 
<laughs> well, uh, you will be able to find a job for you out there, mate. If you know, if if um, you know, if if you hold your head up high enough, we'll we'll put you in the summer. Well, the man in charge of the uh, of the of the mowing is always trying to con me into. Uh, come and join the mowing Ross and I said I'm too young for it I don't have enough time to commit to it and he keeps on trying to bribe me with a table tennis table I'll put a table tennis table in it if you come and I said to him robotic mower I spend the money on a robotic mower like uh uh John Amorego said to me uh that they've got it at his field so um yeah and he yeah, said but, no, well, it's, it's a it's a, a fantastic filly it's you know it's almost in the the, the best possible location although um it's probably quite nice at this time of year, but um, it's it has a lot going for it, and and we could make it, you know, even better. It's um, it's the plan. So, but it, but again, there's, there's a lot of work to, you know, in leading up to that, um, as well as looking at things like you know, the runways. We have to consider where where what what are our IT needs going to be you know, in the future? Where are we going to, you know, in, in ten years' time, we might need a new clubhouse because this one's going to be too old. So. Um, it's it's all about you know yeah well it's all about running it you know as close as you can to a business and um you know not necessarily you know model clubs aren't banks we're not the PNDARC's ANZ cooperative with PNDARC's model flying club so um we need to we need to look outside of, of, of what we've been doing and um okay yeah we, we can do that we 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 can be productive and all that sort of thing and not to say like that that club has grown because of an enormous amount of effort from a lot of people in in years gone by and it and it's it's always had extremely good committees doing doing hard work all the way through and as we all know um, committees work is, is a thankless task because we do it because we want to do it and, um, you know there's there's more to go there's there's more to happen and um just some things we just have to look at differently. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, and it's a question that I was going to ask you, and it's something that I've been thinking about. It's what I call the modernization of the hobby. That the hobby's been around for a long time, and it's almost like clubs are run sort of as they were thirty years ago, forty years ago, and and we've even seen in recent times at our club, you know, things such as running a, a, a monthly club meeting uh you know general meeting kind of thing um that we've moved to to zoom um and that has sort of created a bit more flexibility and um and it's something that the club's playing around with different options you know do we stay with yeah. the physical meeting do we play with, you know try the zoom i'm a big believer of using the technology because and i've mentioned this to you in the past of if i got to come out to the field and it's a bad day and I'm not going to fly, then even with our petrol prices now, you know, getting out there and back, I've done 40 bucks sure. worth of petrol just to go to a meeting yeah. to maybe hear not much. But um, And generally with a lot of um, a lot of stable clubs like Pacnam, there's not a lot that comes up in the meetings, but they're very important. You, you have to run them. But like we just had, recently had our AGM and we had a good turnout to that online. And But there's a cost associated with it. You know, there's always a cost mm-hmm. associated. Like we've got... How many webcams have we got there? Four, four, four webcams. I think we've got, um, which means we have to on site. Yeah, yeah. on site, which yeah. which means now you have to have an internet connection. Um, and so, like you said, so what are your thoughts on that? That you know the need to modernise. Well, absolutely. I mean, and exactly what you just said. We've we've moved, and and part of moving Zoom was out of necessity, of course, over the the awful you know COVID period that, that we've been through. 
And yeah, that has changed a lot of things in a lot of ways. And and maybe some things may not go back, um, you know, as we know it. But I would, you know, the, the Zoom meetings, you know, for committees for a start, it's ideal because um, you have them in the comfort of own desk and it's a regular basis and everyone can turn up and all that sort of thing. Uh, general meetings, it was it was decided by our, our membership and we talked to the membership that, you know, we would have a period of, of, of Zoom general meetings and we probably call it the winter series, for want of a better word, because um, let's face it, the, the weather's been less than ordinary in the last couple of months and just what you just said, no one wants to drive out there, you know, 10, 15 minutes, even half an hour to sit around in 12 degrees with it raining and we get no one turn up. And and I'm not a big fan of making big decisions at, at general meetings if you if you only barely have a quorum. It, it's it's not the general thought of the whole membership. Sure. So that that's where Zoom comes in brilliantly. And uh, like I said, uh, 53, 56 people wanted to have the online VAGM. Great. Having said that, um, we you know, we we are going to rejuvenate the, the social side of, of the club. Um, we have a new uh, social officer elected onto the um, committee uh, last week, and he's um, certainly working through uh, lots of different ideas at the moment that uh, you know we, we hope to bring to fruition, and, and that will be, you know, social days at the club, uh, general meetings back again, absolutely at uh, the field for sure. Um, but you know, we we don't, you know, the, the club constitution says we, we don't miss probably have to have a monthly general meeting because like I said, a lot of people don't actually want that. The committee's elected, we do the work and we report back to the members what we're doing. So um, things are, will definitely change like that and uh, Zoom's been a big part of it. Um, IT-wise, we've got a, a guy who's an absolute brainiac in, in Daniel Jenkins' uh, committee and he he runs an extremely, say extraordinary, um, IT system and keeps things working beautifully all the time. So Daniel's a big part of um, what we need to look at in the future as well for our requirements. Um, you know, if we do more Zoom meetings, yep, we need we need more of this, we need more of that. And um, is there a possibility of combining Zoom meetings with general meetings? Maybe. Um, yeah, that, that's a possibility as well. So so many things to think about and that's why it's not the job of one person to, to do that it's it's having what we've got uh, end up in, in a really good committee lots of very smart people um on our committee i must say that's not, that's something i've noticed that uh, and i've been involved in various different clubs and associations and out of every club that i've visited uh pandarks has probably a more business-like approach to the to the management of the club in that uh, you know, we see some smaller clubs where the president basically does everything and, you know, strong leader and, you know, says, okay, we'll go and do this and they just go and everyone follows. But whereas at Pakenham, it's almost like people have their portfolio that they're responsible um, of, of looking after and and very that very clear lines of delineation, you know. This guy looks at looks after the mowing. This guy looks after the field uh, and the infrastructure around the field. And and when you run those meetings, it's thrown over to them to report on their area. Whereas a lot of other clubs, they might have you know the treasurer's role and the secretary's role, and beyond that, it's just a gaggle of general committee members that are just sitting around talking and not doing much. Whereas at Packenham, and it's something that I've spoke to other clubs. I said, just go and copy Packenham. You know, make somebody the field manager, and their responsibility is. And you go to them and say, okay, so how's it going? What do we need to do? 
what's your input? You know, um, so I think yeah, I've been I, I'm a big fan of how, how. But look, in saying that, Pakenham's a big club. You know, what, what's the membership looking like at the moment? Uh, I think we clicked over 153, 150 members, something like that, at the, at the last count. So. It picks up a bit because I think we we're up around 180. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, we're just coming over that renewal period in a kind yeah. of way. Um, so we just, we'll pick up a few extras, I reckon. But um, and, and, you know, and what I've found also is there's a lot of people that have come to the club from other clubs. It's almost like, hey, come and have a fly with me at Packham. They come and they go, gee, this is really good. I want to join here. And so I dare say there's a lot of members at Packham that are members of multiple clubs. You know, I'm a member of a couple myself. Um, yeah. But, yep. um, yeah, so it's people have got that option to come down. So all is well down at Packham land, really, isn't it? It's a great club, yeah. And as, as I said, it's... Um... It's a, it's a strong committee. There's, there's really good people uh, on their committee, and it always has been. But um, it just it just keeps getting the club keeps getting better and better. And um, as I said, scope there for for even uh, you know, for even more more growth. And as you say, other clubs um, out of necessity losing their land or losing access to where they fly. It's you know I can imagine anything worse. So. Um, it, it is good. Again, looking back to what the um, the founders of the, 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 the from the Darks to the Pan Darks Club, and then Melbourne was a co-op. They had a they had a really good vision, and it's absolutely paying dividends for, for us today. So we have to make sure that that you know improves for the next forty years. So. Gee, forty years time, I might I still be here. Yeah. I'll be eighty eight. Forty years time. You'll still be mowing the, the lawns out. I'll be playing table tennis in between. Oh, you know, I look forward to the day when I can join the mowing roster because I like cutting the grass. And it's very therapeutic. Yeah. I'll, I'll be there with my, my AirPods Generation 37 in my ears, you know, noise cancelling everything, just cruising up and down. Won't be able to hear a thing on this on my electric powered mower. But well, look, as long as the robotic mower doesn't take over my job, which it could. Uh, it could. But, um, yeah. We'll listen to this podcast in forty years' time and see see where we're at. But uh, but no, I look for I, I can't wait till I'm older. It sounds weird. I just can't wait till I retire and have that luxury to like today was a beautiful day outside. And I, I you know when I went to put the rubbish out at my office and I went, oh, you know that feeling is like should be out flying today. This is great, absolutely perfect day for it. It was a classic uh, winter's day today in Melbourne. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, nothing beats. A, a, a nice winter's day flying in Melbourne. And when it's that calm, yeah. still day, nice thick air, you're not overheating, your engine's running cool, all that kind of stuff. Oh, big, that's, what I said, that's what I said to the young kids on uh, that I was flying with on Saturday. I said, oh, these are great days when you get to go for a fly in winter and it's not too bad. The feet got a little bit cold, but uh, besides that, the rest was all right. But um, now, are you building anything at the moment? Um, I'm not. I'm just into sort of um, uh, maintenance phase at the moment and making a, a few decisions on, on which way I'm going to go next. There's a, another um, a composite uh, jet coming hopefully in another less than a month. Um, that'll that'll can be putting up back together. But um, at the moment, nothing really planned. Um, I'm, uh, I'm I'm very happy with uh, with what I've got at the moment. It's a nice fleet that I can just you know, alternate between. Um, so I 
you know, as I said, I like to keep two two malts in the trail all the time and just um, fly them for a little while, swap them over, fly something else. But um, I actually don't have anything on the immediate horizon bar um, um, bar a Mackie uh, composite jet, which uh, is hopefully in transit. So okay, um, that's about it. That'd be yeah. nice. Yeah. And um, how often are you getting out flying now? Because you seem to be there all the time. Well. Um, Yesterday, today, and um, I think I think we're out there on Saturday as well. So if it's if the days are good, I try to get there a couple of days during the week because uh, it's. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that it's quieter than on the weekend because I think there was twenty three people out there today. Oh really? Like that. Now there was really busy. It was very busy, um, and um, you know the the weekends are a good time to catch up and and you know have a general chat with people and. Uh, um, a catch up, but um, during the week is a, is a good time to fly as well. So, and as you know, in Melbourne, uh, you've got to, if you catch a good day, uh, you've got to make the best of it. So, and I think tomorrow's another good day, but um, domestic duties tomorrow. So. Well, all these, all this good weather that we're having in winter at the moment, it's not good for my other hobby of uh, snow skiing. And um, hoping to get it's up skiing. It's snow, isn't it? It was good, but we've had this warm patch for the past two weeks where it's been raining and washing snow away, and so they've lost a fair bit of snow. But um, the, the forecast is looking like more snow's on the horizon, but uh, there's still a bit. We well, should come out and mow the runways instead, then. So yeah, but there's no table tennis table there, so uh, you know, I told you it's a, it's a hand in hand thing because you know I'm a mad keen table tennis player now. You know, people laugh at me, but I'm an athlete. Well, you work up the um, – we'll come to the rain, you work up enough hours on the mower and we'll think about it. Well, you know what? I'm keeping my eye out for a free table tennis table, <laughs> outdoor table tennis table that we can put out there. And oh, okay. it'll be the Andrew Sill Memorial table tennis table. Uh, and um, Memorial? You, well, you, it, you, it just sounds more prestigious. Well, oh, fair enough. No. You know, it's, so, and, you know, <laughs> and that's me. And so we could set it up in one of the pit, underneath sort of the pit areas. There's plenty of undercover pit area packing them. And uh, so we could set it up there, just an outdoor table kind of thing. So, see, I've got plans, Keith. You know, you look after the runways. I'll look after uh, the other activities, you know. So the, these outdoor ping pong balls you speak of, they're impervious to wind or what? what, what? No, that'd just be a challenge. That's a minor detail. Okay. You know, it's a bit like playing somebody that can spin the ball a lot. It just will have the wind. But minor detail, Keith, uh, you know, don't, don't let those – things get in the way of a table tennis table at the field but uh and i think you know we should put it to the you know you know what i'm like keith i've always uh reach out to you with some of my wonderful ideas um you do reach out yes and yes you they're do. not always good ideas i always say i'm an ideas man i didn't say they're always good ideas <laughs> that's right i did say you reach out i i'm not i didn't mention wonderful yeah yeah but thanks for that thanks for that <laughs> okay, Keith, we're up to that final question, the question that everybody wants to know the answer to, and some people really struggle. So I'll I'll say this question very, very carefully. What has sure. been your favourite module? Notice there's not an S at the end. It's favourite module. So that means one model, not three. Don't create categories like some people sure. have done. Give me your favourite yeah. model. Uh, in my current fleet, I would say it's the Bowers Diana Two for its uh, for its slight uniqueness. I think there's only three of them uh, in in Australia, um, but that aside that it's it's a unique model, demands a, a unique type of flying style, 
and I get a lot of enjoyment out of applying that model, even though it doesn't come out all that often. It's probably a, a three or four times a year model. Um, but um, the the Bowders would certainly be on the on the top of my list, and that was a. I was very lucky to, to actually find that one. Uh, well, I didn't find it. Mike O'Reilly found it for me, but um, I was extremely happy to um, to grab that one. Um, and um, plus my, my flying partner in crime, young uh, adopted son, Philip Singh, is um, in charge of towing that up for me at some point as well. So um, that is that is definitely, I would class that as my perennial favourite in the fleet. But I also like the HSD um, home turbines too, they're so quiet. I see, you, there you go. You added in a seat. <laughs> Couldn't help yourself. You know, Diana too. There you go. The, oh, yeah, plus the uh, just a jet a second. But uh, yeah, yeah. Right, well, you've really got into those jets now. I, I'll tell you, all roads are, are you going to come to Wang Jets next year? Uh, absolutely. I, um, I've, I've really got a lot on from about this point on because, like everyone else, we've been you know, bogged down with COVID, and I haven't seen my family in Queensland. I haven't seen my son in Queensland the last two years, uh, nor my mum. So that's all happening in the next. Um, you know, from from here through the end of the year, we've got several flights already booked and sort of thing. So um, I need to catch up on a lot of um, you know, post-COVID trips, so to speak. Um, but uh, you know, in the midst of that, of course, is the Sheppard and Mammoth, seventeen eighteenth of September. September. So that is that is a must see. I mean, I, That's right. Um, Sheppard Mammoth and Gerald is two of the must see events during the year. So. Well, Shepparton for me is a must-see. I've, I've, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to convince my son to come and we're getting close. Um, you know, Would so, he want to spend that amount of time with you, do you think? Or? No, uh, that's the problem. Um, mm. I've got to just try to convince him that I'm a pretty good bloke. Um, and you know, I want to shoot a nice video there and I want him to help me. And um, you know, he knows how to use a camera, so that would be good. And he's good at taking photographs okay. actually as well. So yep. it just means... So that, they're useful. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I'll just, if, if I offer to buy him a steak, he should be okay. So, uh, <laughs> look, don't tell him, but I, I'm just trying to get him away from the computers for a weekend. You know, I think it's if you can, you know, just to see that there's this, there's a thing called the sun that's in the sky and you can only see it when you're outside. But, um, so yeah, that's, that's looking good. But, um, yeah, we'll keep on plugging that Shepparton event, get a good, good turnout for the club there. And, um, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. Fingers crossed at the wedding place, ball. It should be great. The guys up there do a lot of hard work um, in, in the lead up to that. Um, the field's always immaculate. Um, yeah, great place to fly. And it's uh, it's an iconic event, that's for sure. Plenty of events coming up at the Packenham Club. They're not afraid to run clubs. I think you've got the scale event coming up. We have yep. a scratch build day. We have the, the annual yep. Monty Tyrrell scale day. Yep, um, that's it. But I always say that every weekend is like a fun uh, fly at Packenham. There's always plenty of people there. There's always some there. Uh, we've also got there's a traditional aero tow on Melbourne Cup Day as oh, well. Really? Um, yes. Yeah. That's. Um, I think it got washed out possibly last year. I can't recall. Um, as I said, my material. There's been a few rounds of um, fixed scale there. Um, BFSAA. Sort of trying to work with those guys at the moment. You know, trying to come up with some sort of way that um, we can promote each other um, along the lines and. Of course, um, the, the guys returning from the the F4 championships in Norway is soon. Uh, Melissa and, and David Law and um, Greg Lepp. 
old whitehead or members of, of Pendarks. So we're, we're looking forward to getting those guys back home and um, having them um, yeah, show off their, their wares from the championships as well. So there's, there's always going to be something happening out there. Had IMAC events there this year. I don't know, we had a patent event out there yet? can't remember. Um, again, I think we've been a, um, devoid of patent this year for a date close or thing, but certainly IMAC took place there. Um, and we... we yeah, we, we try not to fully close the, the club down to our own members. I mean, it doesn't happen very often that, that PNDAR is actually closed to a particular event. And um, again, with uh, with a couple of runways there and the space we get, uh, the space we have there, we can coexist with, um, you know, a, a, an event happening on one runway and general flying happening on the other side. So, um, but but uh, again, with uh, you know, moving past COVID and um, some some new ideas coming into the fall. We will have to see some some new things happening at Pindark for sure. Yeah, excellent. Well, Keith, lovely to have this chat with you. As I say, you know, I've known you for a while now, but we never sit at the club and say, "So, how do you get into aero modelling?" And now I know your story from from uh, the early days to now, which is good to to know. And a big thank you for your leadership of the club. Um, things are doing really well. Honestly, mean that. And you can tell when we turn up to a meeting and there's not much to talk about and that means all things are good and the vision is very good as well. So a big supporter of it. So well done, Keith Quigg. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Andrew. That's much appreciated. And uh, again, thanks for having me. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Uh, you notice how I've got these familiar lines that come back every week? If you're not familiar with them, that means you're not listening to enough Flat Out RC podcasts. So get on board and subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast. You know how to because you're listening to it. Uh, and tell your friends. Let's grow the Flat Out RC podcast network just for fun. See where it goes. Uh, anyway, big thank you to Keith Quick for joining me. Uh, really enjoyed that chat. We'll see him, no doubt, for many years to come down at the flying field because we enjoy the, each other's company and we enjoy flying at the Pindars Club. So uh, get on down if you're down in Victoria and come and visit us because uh, we do like sharing a place with a lot of people. So I'll be back next week. Oh, I don't know who's going to be the guest. Now I've got to go and do the hard work and find somebody. And the week after that, I know that I'm travelling, so I might have to do two recordings next week just to, uh, to have one in the bag so I can keep you all occupied don't forget get on the youtube channel subscribe to that instagram and facebook that's where we're playing i'll be back next week i think